welcome to the Be The Light Crown Edition podcast. I'm Hannah Frey, your host and pageant queen extraordinaire. Fun fact, while most people are resistant to change, I'm excited by it. So this podcast is designed to allow me to be the light for others. By sharing my experiences across countless topics where I demolished my fears, prejudice, expectation, and rebuilt brick by brick. My hope is I can encourage you to seek knowledge, implement change, and above all, trust in God. So let's get to it. It's time for some you time. Hello, everyone. Before we dive in, I want to provide a quick medical disclaimer. So anything that you hear on these podcast episodes are not meant to be taken as medical advice. If you have questions about your own specific healthcare needs, be sure to advise with your particular healthcare provider, ideally a functional provider, but certainly wanted to make that clear. Additionally, I have also given each of my guests permission to discuss any historical health uh, issues, questions, care that they have personally given myself or my children. So certainly they have that, uh, the ability to do so as I think it's really going to provide you guys with some additional insights and value. So thanks so much. And let's dive right in. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Be The Light Crown Edition podcast. We are on our fourth provider, uh, healthcare provider mini series. We are so excited today to introduce Dr. Rebecca LaQuay, which seems a little bit formal because to me, she's just my best friend, but for y'all, Dr. LaQuay, Welcome, Becky. It's so good to see you. Good to see you too. You look awesome. Uh, well, you know, casual t-shirts and <laughs> you're definitely showing me up a little bit, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, I cannot wait to dive in and talk to you. I Folks know who you are. I mean, if they've listened to my podcast series before, you've definitely come up a few times. Um, mm-hmm. But as always, I want to start with just our story, our background, and then we'll kind of dive into some specific questions for you. So thanks okay. for taking the time. I know you're crazy busy, so... Um, yeah, our history. Where do we even start, Becky? Oh my so, gosh. <laughs> what a unique story we have, Anna. Truly. And I don't think we've ever succeeded at explaining what island life was like for oh us, but um, so, some backstory. So Becky and I did go to medical school together in St. Vincent and the Grenadines in 20, technically 2014 to 2015. Yeah. I was there for just shy of a year. Um, and yeah, it felt like an eternity. <laughs> It's oh like island time isn't real at all. It's fake life. It's fake life. It slows down. Okay. Um, it was very, and I've, I've mentioned this in my previous podcast, but it was kind of isolating in a way too. And so um, it was really wonderful to to meet you. And of course, John as well. And, um, you know, there was other folks on the island we connected with, but you and I certainly have really maintained a close friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, and Skyla was there for a bit as well. So it's kind of fun because you know my husband really well. I- you guys used to go running together for a very brief amount of time (laughs) and traveling into Kingstown. Oh yes. Going to the store. Everything was always quite the ordeal, but the hunt for Dr. Pepper. Oh my. Do you remember? I mean, (laughs) that was really a treat. (laughs) It was the treat. It was the treat of the week. I mean, if we were excelling, yes, we treated ourselves to pizza and then it closed down. It was so sad. Um, but we, we lived, gosh, in three different places technically together. And then you even moved to a fourth location on the Island. Um, the gym, which was like the, the primo place to be apparently got AC anytime we wanted. And that was really that was, was not really a thing good. for us. We no, had to ration. Oh my. <laughs> we did only at night. <laughs> we only got it at night. Wake we up at always... 6 a.m. and turn it off. <laughs> yep. 
there was like it was um because of vpn stuff we couldn't get like netflix remember and we'd have to try to like pirate movies i mean it was just a wild time it was the wild wild west hopefully no one you know from the from the movie people are watching this i know right oh man so yeah that was um that was where we met and of course uh i ended up leaving medical school it was just like not best for me mentally and you stayed and just excelled and i'm just continually so so proud of you um, for for that whole journey. So I mean, technically, yeah, we've known each other almost ten years, which again seems absolutely fake. Insane. I know time is literally just flying by. So tell everyone a little bit about your background, though, because I mean, you didn't come like me, where I came straight from, you know, undergraduate to med school. Right. You kind of had a little bit of a detour. So I would love to hear, um, kind of from high school on, or whatever you want to share about your journey. Yeah. So I kind of say I typically take the road less traveled. It has been a very non-conventional route to medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually went to a military college when I first came out of high school. And when I went up there, it was just all too much for me. <laughs> that was clearly not the place I was supposed to go. So I ended up coming back, like, I guess, technically the first semester of my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. And from there, I was kind of lost. Like, what do I do? I really thought I would go into law. I have a very strong personality. I thought I would do really well in that. And my dad said, "Mm, no, I'd rather you not do that. So I went to nursing school and I worked as a nurse for a few years as I was working through undergrad. So I did come straight from undergrad, but I didn't really start my undergrad journey until kind of like my mid twenties. So it was a little bit later. And then, um, going to med school, you know, when we first got to the Island, that very first weekend, I just thought like, I don't know if I can stay here. I had never even, I had only gone to one country outside of the U S. So the whole experience was just shocking is really all you can say. It's shocking. I mean, there's Um, one thing traveling to another country, but it's a whole nother thing to travel to a third world country. And I think that's what people aren't understanding. Like it was literally the wild, wild West. Like we joke about it, but like literally there, there, there were no rules. Everything was right. upside down. It was just crazy. And I think one thing I forgot to mention is that I actually convinced you to come to that island. So our school. Had- I was going to go to the, to Anguilla. Yes. Which is certainly a richer and like more developed island. Uh, island than St. Vincent. And we had connected on Facebook on the group that they had. And I thought, oh, she seems really nice. Like, I don't know anyone and it's a little bit cheaper to go to this other island. So maybe I'll look into it. And they were like, sure, whatever you can switch. (laughs) Can't imagine why it was cheaper. (laughs) So, you know, I am so thankful for like the way it turned out because really I feel like, um, as different as we are, we have enough similarities that, you know, living together was like, I think eye opening for us both. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, proved to have a a good connection between the two of us because now here we are like almost nine years later and maybe we don't talk every day, but we, we talk every few weeks at least, you know, we, it's like, oh, we yeah. pick up exactly where we left off. Like it's no big deal. So hundred percent, those friendships are rare. So, you know, that I are right. immensely, uh, yeah, very different, but I think that we experienced a lot of like growth, heartbreak, you know, just oh my. various we things, everything. <laughs> we went through the ringer together. <laughs> And I think that that's why, like, no matter, even if it, for whatever reason, took years in between us talking, which hopefully would never be the case, like right. things wouldn't change between us. So yeah, super fun. I hope, I just hope everyone has a friend like that. Cause it's a really special thing. It um, really is. 
So after, so you stayed on the island. I left yes. like spring of 2015. What happened from there? Um, you know, pretty much the same old, same old, just go to the, go to school, come back rains every day at 3 PM, go to the gym and just repeat until December. Mm -hmm. And our school had most of our rotation set up for us in Chicago. So I had been to Chicago to visit just a couple of times. I liked it. Okay. I from the country, I'm not from the city, but I was excited for that type of experience. Mm -hmm. And the funny part about this to all your listeners, Hannah, vehemently did not want to go to Chicago. That was a tiny, tiny little deciding factor in her not coming back. And lo and behold, I moved there for rotations and she ends up working in Chicago shortly after that for a few years. So she ended up in Chicago either way. <laughs> that, that is really funny. You bring it that up so because funny. of all the places that you could have gone for rotations know, of all the places I could have picked up and moved anywhere in the country technically. And so for me to end up working downtown and so we still obviously got to see each other, you yeah. know, um, while you were, of course, like buried under schoolwork and rotations. Um, it, that was, yeah, pretty special <laughs> that we ended up there. I know it. <laughs> um, about so that. In Chicago, you know, every med student basically does like their core rotations, no matter if you're a U.S. med student versus IMG, which is international medical student or medical graduate. And um, so I did that studying for a step, which is like, the hardest exam on the planet and, um, you know, just grinding it out. You know, while I was in Chicago, I did get my master's also. So I got my MBA during, mm -hmm. um, which took me an extra year, but, you know, now being out of residency and just having future goals, having that as like a backup, it was such a good idea to do. So mm -hmm. I would encourage anyone in med school to get their master's because it just really sets you up really well after residency. Yeah, that's awesome. It explains why you were so busy as well. Yeah. <laughs> so much going on. And you know, and to that point, like that test was such a big deal. And oh. not and that's what really like eliminates a lot of folks who had hopes and dreams of becoming a doctor. Like you and I have a oh, lot yeah. of colleagues and classmates who like that was where they fell out after spending so much time on the island and you know, right. coming back um can be a really big deciding factor. So like right. kudos to you for making it through for sure. And that was not for lack of effort. Like you were studying so hard. Becky. So much, you know, and I, um, as, as I said at the beginning, like I always somehow find the hardest way to get through things. Like my biggest, one of the biggest characteristics I feel like I have is just perseverance. And I don't know if that's stubbornness or pride or what it is, but whatever it is, it keeps me going. It's and because so you're a Texan. It's like in your blood. Maybe, yeah, the Texan in me. Um, but it's, a, you know, whenever I would see my med students during residency, I would always tell them like, failure doesn't define who you are. And so I failed one of my board exams, like the one that absolutely matters. And I thought, I have no idea what's going to happen to me or what, what I'm going to do. But, um, you know, I was becoming Catholic during this whole thing as well, which is like such a big part of who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. And I, there was just something that just told me, like, just keep going. Like I have a, an entire plan for your life. And so I did. And, you know, lo and behold, I got, you know, tons of interviews and I was able to match into my number one, you know, residency spot, which is like the hardest thing to do. Mm -hmm. And here I am. 
here you are. And where are you and what are you doing? Tell our listeners. <laughs> so, um, I matched into family medicine. I originally thought I would do OB, but once I got out of those core rotations, I just talked about, you kind of pick, you curate your schedule from there. What specialty mm-hmm. did you like? Where do you want to go? And I thought I had the best OB mentor as a core. I'm going to do that. Like I went to med school for it. This solidifies it. So then I did some sub eyes and there's so much surgery and I really, that is not my bag. So I scratched that. (laughs) So now what I thought I went to school for, I'm not doing, Uh, I did like the delivery part of OB though. So I chose family and, um, I matched into LSU in, um, Alexandria, which is like a super rural, not like there's no other residencies there. So we really functioned as an IM residency. Hmm. And I know that because I ended up transferring to a different hospital in Florida where they did have IM as a specialty. And my intern year was exactly how theirs was, you know, like lots Hmm. of hospital time, which led me to what I'm doing now. So I'm a hospitalist. That's what I decided to do. Uh, from family, you pretty much either go into the clinic, which is the majority, or you can work in the hospital. Basically it's any adult being admitted for anything, pneumonia, Mm -hmm. uh, kidney infection, you know, heart failure, things like that. The hospitalist is kind of first line. We're the ones that are going to take care of you until things are really going off the rails. And then we need to bring in a specialist. So if I had known that I loved hospital medicine, as much as I do, I definitely would have applied. I am, but you know, it's the same as everything that I've been through. I just have to believe that like what I chose and everything happens for a reason, you know, that it was just the right move for me. So hundred percent speaking of enjoying delivery, uh, yet another fun experience we had together. (laughs) So Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. Well, I have to tell the story because I mean, okay. it's, it's just, it's just funny. So small side note, um, while Becky was in Chicago, uh, and I think at the time, yeah, you were like heavy into OB, like, this is what I'm going to do. That was when you yep. had that mentor. Yep. Yep. And, um, it was, so this is when Everett was born and he was born in Northwest Indiana hospital. So not like an unofficial suburb of Chicago. And yep. If you knew me then, I, which I'm still very type A, but even more so then, I was like, I don't want anyone freaking near me while I'm giving birth, like no family, my husband, of course. And then the only other person on the planet I could emo- imagine being by my side was Becky. And so she has quite literally seen <laughs> just as much as my husband and was there holding one leg while my husband held the other when I gave birth. And it was even more hilarious when you got there and we kind of told everyone in the room, like this, she's going to school for this. Like she's a, you know, practically a doctor already, like whatever. And they were like treating you as if you were part of the care team. And I'm like, (laughs) there was no, there was no consent on my part. They're like, Oh, Becky, do you want to check and see how far along she is? And I was like, I'm sorry. Should we ask me before you ask (laughs) my friend wants to just like put some feels on like, so um, everyone slow down. Maybe (laughs) you were like, no, thanks. (laughs) polite. Appreciate that. Um, but it's just, I think it just speaks to like one, how much trust I had in you, you know, as a, as a doctor. And obviously that's, um, meant to be because here you are, but just our friendship as well. So just a fun little story for folks. That Very fun. I haven't thought about that in a long time. I, yeah, I, I did just, it came to mind instantly. I'm like, we have to have to share this story, but, um, Awesome. Well, we're, we're so excited for you in the DC area as a hospitalist, like what a fun and cool job to be honest. I don't 
I don't know much about the expectations of a hospitalist. So I think like it would be great for folks to hear because there's a lot of like stories out there of folks getting admitted to the hospital and they're just seeing one person and then someone else the next day. And like, how is that supposed to function? Like, what is the the overall role? As you mentioned, you eventually might call in a specialist, but what does right. your day-to-day look like? So um, I would say like when you for your first coming in, you're going to speak with only like ER staff. You're not going to have any floor personnel, you know, there. And from there, really the ER's job is they're not there to fix you. They are there to say, you need to be admitted and let the hospitalist do it. Or, mm-hmm. you know, this is what I'm going to give you and you go home and they, you know, they send you home. Those are the two functions basically of an ER doctor. Got it. So then from there, you're admitted and you're on the floor and we work seven days on seven days off. That is basically the schedule for any hospitalist. And so you'll see me in the morning on rounds and I'll, you know, explain to you kind of how the day is going to go, what I expect to happen, what my plan is for you. And I think just from my time as a resident and, you know, now working here, I think that just setting the expectation for the patient of how the day is going to go is like such a vital part of what we do because most patients, I would say most people in general, like don't really have a whole lot of, um, trust in medicine, trust in doctors. So just kind of being open and talking to them like they're a normal person and not a patient and just kind of explaining who I am and what I'm going to do goes almost even further than what I actually, all the orders I put in and, you know, like Mm -hmm. how I curate the day. So Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, for most people, if you don't see your doctor, you need to tell, ask the nurse to have the doctor come in you know, that's like a really big part is seeing my face daily and knowing that I'm there and, you know, I'm here to help you basically. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, speaking of that though, I, I know that you've been uh, in DC for not terribly long, right? At, at right. this job for about a month now, but you have been rotating for a while. So I am curious if you have any like super fun, like hell stories or like favorite stories that you can share. Um, yeah. With your experience in rotating and getting through med school. Oh my gosh. There's so many, <laughs> I would need like a topic, <laughs> whatever comes to mind. <laughs> um, so like <laughs> as a family doctor and really internal medicine, we kind of have to know everything. So mm-hmm. we're not super specialized. Like you would think for cardiology or GI or whatever. So, um, I think that's also something to kind of know whenever you're being taken care of in the hospital, like we have to, we're tested on it. We have to know basically everything about all the organ systems because, you know, yes, we can go look things up, but like in an emergency situation, we need to have some, some knowledge on the top of our head that we can kind of deal with whatever yeah. lung issue you're having or heart issue or whatever. Um, gosh, <laughs> fun stories. I don't know. Let me think about it. I need to like, come up, bring bring the memories back. I know. You know, I I think for me, the biggest thing is that I, I come from a family that's so big. I'm one of five girls. And so I really talk to my patients like they are just normal people. So like my biggest thing is I'm typically talking my patients into doing things that they don't want to do, which I get, like most people think, okay, I don't really want to do, you know, anything extra, but I would never mention it if I did not think that it was something that you needed. I am not one that um, is going to over, 
prescribe or do anything like that. So, um, for instance, I had a patient who came in for, it was like a double, double thing. So she was having, um, obstructive sleep apnea, which was really caused it's really obesity syndrome, but she just was not getting in enough air and she was not Mm -hmm. diffusing. Also, she was in heart failure. So she had a lot of fluid on her lungs on top of it. So Mm -hmm. she had two issues that actually kind of go hand in hand, but they were both very exacerbated underlying asthma. She's in the ER. They appropriately treat the heart failure with really high dose, um, diuretic and she's still not breathing well. So, you know, they call a rapid is what they call it. Basically they're at the bedside and something happens, their heart rate drops or they're not breathing well, whatever. So then I was on call. I go up to see her and, uh, they had already done the diuretic, like I said, so what's the next step? Okay. Let me try and open up your airways with some steroids. And she did not want to do this. No steroids. It made me gain weight. So, you know, I just casually say, okay, you can either gain weight and take the steroids, or you can stop breathing. These are your choices. And that's basically how I present things to people, because I just think there's so much either fluff. And so things are missed Mm -hmm. or for instance, people had already told her, I want to give you steroids. And she said, no. And they said, okay, fine. Don't take them. And then she's, you know, desaturating on the floor and I'm called in. So it's like, okay, well, I'm going to kind of force you to do it because I know that it's the right thing to do. And I know it will help you. Yeah. Um, And in the long run, the weight that you gain on steroids comes off. It's not, you know, permanent. You need the steroids. So anyway, this is we could argue that she should just lose the weight more than even more some if it's really should. So also, you know, whenever you're already kind of overweight, that really shouldn't be your driving factor, which I get. It's like such a mental thing to be overweight. So I understand where I understand both sides, but yeah. if you're not breathing. What's the point in losing weight? There's none. Yeah. Well, if you're not around to lose the weight, said weight. So, you know, crazy. she's like crying out. No, I don't want to do this, but I, I just kind of tell people how it, how it is. I imagine that's a function of your big family though. Um, having so many sisters and you're the, and you are the only doctor, right? Yeah. Yeah. Even the only health care related. I have one sister that's a nurse. Okay. Um, but yeah, other than that, no one really, I'm kind of just flying by the seat of my pants in this whole medicine situation. (laughs) No one really to guide me here, but (laughs) we're making it work. (laughs) I could just imagine like, being in the hospital and like having you come in would be just like winning the freaking lottery. Like, I'm sure that you have to know people probably feel that way. Like it's your energy is, and not just because you're drop dead gorgeous. Like I do mean that, but additionally, (laughs) because you walk into a room and it's like very clear that like, you got a good head on your shoulders. You know what you're talking about. You do care about people, you know, um, that empathy is, is clear. So, and I really think that that is something that people can feel. You can't really fake your bedside manner or, you know, making them feel that you care about, you know, what's going on. And I really do. Even on my hard days, I had a super hard day on my last day of, of my seven. Mm. And, um, I just thought to myself, like these people need good doctors. So like, even though this really like put me under almost, I feel like it's kind of my duty to just like, keep going, you know? 
you also love a good challenge. So I feel I like really do. <laughs> you're not competitive at I all. Know, it's terrible. <laughs> I mean, it helps your patients. Like I can imagine being seven on and seven off. Like by the end of your seventh day, you're like, I don't really, like, you're going to get better because I'm out tomorrow. So like, that's it. You're out of time. Yeah. Get better. So I, I can see that working really, really well for you. <laughs> Actually, and we should probably, for the record, Becky and I were very competitive in med school as well, like co- constantly just like comparing scores and like studying together. And, but for the record though, can you just, for the listeners confirm, I did not flunk out of medical school. Oh, no, no, no. I you quit. made better grades than I did. I don't remember, but that could Yeah, be- yeah, for sure you did. For sure. But I mean, that was not the issue. It was not the, the course load. And, you know, I really tell a lot of people this, if you just work hard literally anyone could go to med school. It is hard. hard You have to put in a lot of effort, but like the actual concepts and things that you learn, anyone could do it. It's just, you want to put aside all these years and hours and hours to study. It's just the effort. I think that is difficult about it. Well, cause we want, we want and wanted the same things, right? Like we were both up for a good part of it in committed relationships. Like wanted to be married, wanted to have kids, like wanted this like picket fence life. And those are things that you have to put on hold, you know, yeah. like it just, it just happens that way. So yeah. mm-hmm. it's choices, right? Yes. Um, kind of switching gears a bit. Is there like one thing that you wish folks knew about hospitalists or about the role of hospitalists that you feel like is largely misunderstood or, um, like could just help folks who are in that, you know, facing that situation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that one of the biggest things is like when you're admitted to the hospital, my job is to balance, how do I make you better? And the amount of time that insurance will pay for it. And that is very difficult because there are so many variables that could happen Mm -hmm. that I can't control or even predict. Um, All I can do is do my best to balance what the hospital system is asking me to do, but also not compromise my care for my patients. So I think that, um, you know, when you come in and you're there for a specific reason, understand that that is going to be our focus. It's not going to be tiny little other health issues that you have. That is really where your primary care doctor comes in. Those are issues that you should be having handled outpatient Mm -hmm. while they are important. Every issue is important. Our job as a hospitalist is to focus on the thing that's keeping you in the hospital. So I think that it's, people kind of take that as, okay, well, they don't care about me or they don't care about my problems. And that's really not it. You know, um, our healthcare system is quite interesting. And so it's difficult for us to (laughs) take care of PG way to say (laughs) to take care of the major (laughs) issues that's keeping you in the hospital. Yeah, no, I think it's a good point because it might, it might, you know, be someone thought that when they're hospitalized, like, oh, here's my moment. I'm just going to air out everything that's ever been wrong with me. And oh, like, yes, we can that just get it more often than not. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there are some major issues that come out of that, that we do have to actually work up. So it sure. does add to your stay, but I would say sure. the majority of the time, these are things that are definitely important, but should be, you know, that's where the role of the PCP comes in. And it's whether it's, a good nurse practitioner, a PA versus a doctor, you know, um, I think, you know, use your judgment, but finding a primary 
provider that you see on a consistent basis, at least every six months is something that is very important. I feel like for most adults, anyone over the age of like 25. Do you find that a lot of these hospitalizations are from very acute things or do you find that they're like, like a sudden arm like being broken or I don't know, whatever, or is it more often not just like comorbidities of like several other systemic things going on that just like finally kind of spill over? Yeah. I would say majority is comorbidities for sure. Mm -hmm. It are, it's things that, you know, have been building for years and it just gets to a point where your body just can't really function. Yeah. So it's going to put you in the hospital. I think that, um, is such a great point because folks our our culture is very reactive and like that's where I see a lot of folks falling to the wayside you know is waiting until they're hospitalized to realize oh I've got heart failure or oh my kidneys are shutting down from being a heavy drinker for x number of years you know it's it's really up to you like do you want to be proactive or reactive like do you want to be healthy or wait until it's almost too late right because once you're hospitalized, like it, it takes a while to bounce back. And I know readmissions is something that's on, is that something that you're held to as well as readmission standards? Um, it's definitely something that's looked at. I don't know necessarily Mm -hmm. that it affects me personally, which I'm thankful for, but there are tons of, um, systems that it does. It affects them Mm -hmm. quite a bit. So, um, yeah, I mean, readmissions, you never want that. No. And I think it's, that's just lends more credibility to the fact that you want to be healthy and hope that you never have to be hospitalized. But if you want to be there for a while, then I guess keep doing, you know, your poor behaviors that you are. Um, but a lot of folks too are just uneducated and that's what I'm finding as well. And kind of why I'm even doing this podcast in the first place is, and I thought I was, I went to med school. I thought, I thought I was educated, you know, and then come to find out my whole world's been turned upside down, you know, with all the things I didn't know or realize or, or things I was doing incorrectly for my health and my kids' health. And so that's why I also advocate, to your point, so strongly for get a PCP, whether it's a traditional doctor, nurse practitioner, or a functional provider. I mean, you and I have had conversations about the differences there, but I think regardless, like getting started yep. is a good first step. Yep. So. Yep. Because I would say mostly everyone's going to kind of start at the same place, trying to figure out what are your underlying issues. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the treatment of those things that differ and all the different, like, you know, functionalities, like what you were talking about, but, you know, understanding what your body is doing just baseline is the first step. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we already mentioned this a little bit, but just curious if you have any other comments or thoughts on like your biggest pet peeve with the healthcare system, being literally a part of the hospital system uh, is, oh my gosh. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think one thing that's difficult for us is the coders, which are people that kind of look at our progress notes and, um, history and fiscals, which are, you know, your medical record essentially, they have no real medical background. So they're looking at it and they're determining length of stay and, you know, what can be paid back and what can't be paid back. And then it makes my job like pretty difficult to try and figure out exactly what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. I feel that I'm documenting appropriately there. They don't get what I'm saying because it's more medical than it is like technical, I guess. So got it. I would say that's pretty frustrating. Um, I would also say 
I think because like I'm a fresh graduate out of residency, um, I haven't really like learning is, is something that I've been doing, you know, for like 10 years now, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's frustrating for me as a new provider to like, you know, encounter older providers who don't really like learn anymore. They don't, they don't put forth effort to kind of know the new evidence-based medicine and that we don't need to do certain things anymore, just because that is the way that we, you know, we're doing it 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things that frustrate me about medicine. <laughs> but, How much time do we have? Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> That's fair. Um, well, just kind of bringing it back to, again, like, as you know, my journey here lately has been kind of leaning more into like the functional provider things. And I mean, I guess technically you would be a Western provider because you are a hospitalist and that was your traditional learning path. Um, but I think there are a lot of similarities that you and I tend to like very much sync on. And one of those being informed consent and advocating for yourself. And so even understanding that like Becky's one of my best friends, but even we kind of differ or like have had conversations about the different ways in which you can practice medicine. Um, but this is something we, we sink on. So do you have any thoughts or comments um, that you want to share on the importance and how you can advocate for yourself as a patient coming from a physician yourself? Oh man, <clears throat> you know, and I tell all of my patients this, I tell my sisters this because I, <laughs> I find that they're constantly going in to the doctor's office or the hospital thinking one thing's going to happen and then it doesn't. And then they're confused. Why is this not happening? And my biggest thing that I tell people is if you don't advocate for yourself, who's going to do it? Not everyone is going to be like me. I will advocate for you. I, if I don't like you, I'm advocating for you in this scenario always, you know? So, yeah. but, but you, I think that the hardest thing for people really is that people are not kind of used to taking up for themselves and their needs. Yeah. And especially when it comes to healthcare. So, um, I would say, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions and get clarification on things. If it doesn't sound right to you, it may not be right. And so, you know, mm -hmm. we, we are not perfect. We are human and we are going to make mistakes. I make mistakes. I have made tons in the past. I'm going to make a million more. Like that is just the reality of being a human on this earth. So, yeah. you know, really having a good idea of what should be going on with you while you're in the hospital or at the, at the doctor's office mm -hmm. is it's so important. It is one of the biggest, like most important things I think that people really should do is take responsibility and accountability for themselves and for their own health. I can only do so much. Yeah, it's a good point because even if that individual is a great provider, they could still make mistakes. They oh, could yeah. still miss things, especially oh, yeah. if you're not being fully transparent or you forget, you know, some yeah. of your symptoms or right. something, you've, a surgery you've had done or family history. You know what I mean? Like there's just so much room for error there. Um, my additional thing to pile onto that is if you continue to kind of see these same providers or um, even the same in the same realm of specialties, right? You're seeing different providers in the same specialty and you're just not getting anywhere. Then that might be when you want to consider different modalities, right? Agreed. You might want to consider yep. functional or, um, you know, spiritual healing. I mean, there's a lot of options out there um, because that's kind of where I see folks um, giving in a bit and, and just kind of losing hope or just, or just no longer listening to their intuition. And I think that's right. happening. Yeah. With a lot of folks. Yeah, I agree. 
we're just deadened to like, oh, I don't feel good. My stomach has hurt for 20 years. So that must be normal, you know? And it's like, no, <laughs> it's not normal. It's probably right. Gluten, right. You know, there's, there's things going on. <laughs> and I so. do think like finding someone that you connect with on more than just a medical level, like you, everyone gets a vibe by the people that they're with. Like you don't have to be with someone that gives you a bad feeling just because you need a doctor. Um, yeah. I think that, that goes a long way because if you feel comfortable, you're more than likely going to open up and talk about the things that you're kind of leaving out and, you know, saying, Oh, well, I don't know if I really like that treatment for this. Like, can we try something different? I've had tons yeah. of people say that to me. And I think, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe we could try something else first and then go to this. Like, it's sure. okay that I mentioned something and you don't want to do it now yeah. in the hospital. She needed the steroids. That's a different scenario. <laughs> <laughs> but you were clear there. <laughs> most case scenario is, you know, okay. You know, I can, let me think of something else. We'll, we'll try a different route maybe. Yeah. And I think too, like, um, I mean, you and I are both from like very small towns or at least, you know, very rural. And so that could be too, where folks are feeling a little bit limited is that there's like a doctor, like there was true. a doctor. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, virtual and telemedicine is like totally just spiraled. And so, um, there's a lot of options there. So you no longer have to be limited by geography, especially if you're like not able to travel for said right. issues. So I just think that that's no longer a quote unquote excuse. Um, almost everyone has internet, you know, these days. Um, so yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree more. Definitely building that trust. And I think it's even a testament to the three folks I had on my podcast and even folks who I haven't brought on yet, but like everyone in the past almost 10 years who's been a part of my healthcare team, I've almost maintained friendships with what, once we were no longer, you know, patient, didn't have the patient relationship. (laughs) So it was appropriate. Um, but you know, that I think says volumes, like I found those needle in a haystack folks who were willing to really invest in me and like, it's come back, you know, tenfold and has actually been a huge catalyst to the healing, you know, forever it, which it'll be a separate podcast, but just so you know, we just got back the GI map testing. And so I'll, I would love to send it to you as well. Yeah. 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 Look, um, but that's all from someone who I met, you know, like nine years ago, who was my chiropractor and, you know, is now, um, you know, seeing my son. And so to that point, you can, you know, when you connect with someone and not saying you'll be best friends and hang out with them on the weekends. Right. But yeah. You can feel it, you know, if they have your best interests and if they're willing to, you know, listen to you because it's a team, yeah. really the patient is part of the team. Like it's not just the doctors, not just the nurses. So, yeah. Um, one last thing, I just one last question. Um, and, and you can decline to answer if you want, but, uh, I just think it, my listeners, you know, my podcast is skewed quite a bit towards folks who are more inclined to like rely on functional medicine and and natural healing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I was really, very excited to bring you on and have your perspective and and folks kind of hear from you in that way. Um, And being fresh out of school, I know your family has touched on and experienced different modalities of natural healing. I know that you know my whole story. So just what are what are your kind of initial thoughts on the whole idea of homeopathy and functional medicine, knowing that that's not where your practice is and just being clear there, um, but just initial thoughts and impressions of that, since it is different from, you know, what you went to school for. Right. So, um, you know, I think if you had asked me this my intern year, I would have thought like, all of this is crazy and y'all need to listen to us because we really know what we're talking about. <laughs> I mean, I think that anyway, but 
<laughs> Don't listen to me, but. Um, but I think whether it's good or bad, I feel like COVID has really opened the dialogue to what, what should we believe and not believe? And, um, I think for me as a provider, it's been very confusing because Mm -hmm. I am really taught a very specific type of way on how to treat people. And, um, you know, each disease kind of has their own treatment. And so skewing from that is, uh, I would say frowned upon, I would say it is definitely, you know, people look at you like you're crazy. How could you ever think to, you know, try something besides what I'm telling you right now? Yeah. And, um, I don't know. I just, I, I, if I was a primary doctor outside of the hospital and I would see patients on a daily basis, I really think I would toe the line between Western and functional because I I'm a huge believer in patient you know, autonomy and you guys having your own choice and how you want your healthcare to go mm-hmm. out of the hospital. If you don't want to take a medicine, that's great. You know what I mean? But in the hospital, it's an, it's an acute situation is what we call it, but like, just it's, it's more, um, dire than it would be outside. So that's a little yeah. bit different, um, as far as Western, you know, versus homeopathic or whatever. But yeah, if I was a primary doctor, which I definitely can be, I can always switch and go primary. Yeah. I would kind of toe the line. Like I have some very questionable opinions regarding vaccines and it's not what I was taught as a nurse mm-hmm. or as a doctor. And I had always been staunchly for these things. And so oh, I remember, I remember the opening my mind to, <laughs> yeah. Opening my mind to the possibility that there are a lot of things that I was taught, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily being the right way, um, has been quite challenging. I think for me, very confusing, but, um, you know, I think that's where the frustration and not really knowing evidence-based medicine and, where these types of treatments and ideas come from, um, in the older providers, that is frustrating for me. Yeah. You don't even want to listen or open your mind to something different when it could be killing your, your kids or, you know, causing diseases that you can never come back from. So, um, I don't know. I'm kind of like the worst person to ask on this because I really toe the line right in between. I know. I- I definitely think hospital is needed in this country. We have too many patients that come in that are very sick and need things by IV and yes, need emergency surgeries and all that kind of thing where hospitals would come into play. Right. But absolutely. That's I always say like the biggest factor in healthcare here is people not having good primary doctors. So mm-hmm. I think it really, like, they always say like, oh, PCP is the front line. Like it really is the front line. So I think. Or TikTok because that's awesome. where. And that's learning. where I got, that's where I went to med school. TikTok. Yeah. yeah. Instagram reels. Um, I mean, I've, <laughs> I've learned more through podcasts than I have in my entire undergrad. And a lot of the, school. a lot of the different um, ideas that I have now, I first got the idea from a podcast. Yeah. I heard it and they made a lot of sense and they influenced me to go read more into whatever the subject was, you know? Yeah. 
So I think that podcasts are such a good source, maybe not for a hundred percent facts verified, you know, but and it, it should open your mind to thinking like, huh, that's a good point. Or maybe I should go read up on what this is, you know? Yeah. I was, that was going to be my next question is why do you feel like you uniquely were able to kind of question some of the things that you were taught, you know, early on. And I think that's the answer though. It's like the company that you keep, you know, you're very, again, you're a Texan girl, you're a Texan family. Yeah. Um, there's just different, you know, ideals in the South as well of, of autonomy. I think, you know, I can't say that broadly, but for my experience, um, but yeah, just the availability of information out there can't be ignored. And so, um, again, it feels like there's less and less of an, ex- like a, a, not an excuse, but like a, a gate, you know, like gatekeeping of mm-hmm. information for folks to take more ownership of their own health, yeah. especially if they don't have a good PCP or at least how to find one, you know, right. cause I was looking in all the wrong places, even in my town where we have hundreds of PCPs. Right. And wasn't getting the answers that I wanted. So thank you for answering that. I know that wasn't the easiest thing to to talk about. Um, and I, and I totally agree though, just to be clear, like there's a place for hospitals. We, de- we need them. Right. Emergency medicine, like the advancements we've made there, like hundred percent emergency antibiotics, life-saving. Absolutely. I just also feel like a lot of those things are overused, overdiagnosed. We're putting band-aids on sinking ships, you know, mm-hmm. things of that nature. But to your point, you're not you, but you know, hospitalists or folks who work in the hospital aren't to blame. It's not technically your job. You right. know, your job is to get them My well. My job is to leave. literally handle the serious complication that you're having right now. And then yeah. once that is stable, so to speak. Then mm-hmm. the next line is to go back to your primary doctor and to continue with whatever you guys decide to keep, right. you know, your issues at bay. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was really helpful for folks to hear um, because I, I think putting yourself in somebody else's shoes is hard when you don't understand like what their shoes are supposed to feel right. like. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, cause even, you know, I haven't spent a ton of time in the hospital. I think most recently, like when Kellen was hospitalized, like that was a really eye-opening experience. Um, staying there overnight. Oh, we had a great care team and it was very much like an acute, I can't breathe situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so thank you for sharing that. Um, as we're wrapping up, I know I told you, you could say anything. <laughs> so is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to like air out or just share with folks? It can be loosely related to your job or just medicine, healthcare in general, anything you want to talk about? Um, I don't really know. I think, um, you know, while I say that podcasts are like such a good place to find information, I feel like you can't take these things verbatim and like think that this is exactly what's happening and why you feel this way. It just goes back to everything that we've talked about. You really should research these things for your own good and your own health. And, you know, doing that, you automatically take ownership of who you are. So then when you go into the doctor, you feel confident to say these things. Mm-hmm. We are just people like you and me, like we are just people. We're normal human beings. So we have no real authority over you. And we're not like, just because we went to school and did all this thing, you know, did, did all this for so long. Doesn't mean that we necessarily will always know better than you, you know, your body. So I think, you know, for any patients or anyone that's going through this type of stuff, 
taking ownership and having the confidence in yourself is like the biggest step, I think. And a lot of times too, folks who are hospitalized are in the elderly community, if I'm not mistaken, I'm assuming majority of your admissions are. are Yeah. So I mainly just do adults. I don't do any kids, um, no one under the age of 18 that they would go to more of a children's hospital. So I'm only doing adults. And I would say most of my patients are over the age of 65. Most of them. So to that point, you know, that they might not have the same ability or like clarity to advocate for themselves or share their whole history. So it seems like that might be a good opportunity for us to, you know, stay connected with our family and, and honor them in that way by helping to be a part of their care team. Yes. I think that most patients that come in, the ones that do really well are the ones that have any type of support, whether that is friends that have been there or family members that help take care of them. Those are the patients that are going to leave and, you know, like they're going to be fine. They're probably not going to come back in 30 days, which is what we worry about, you know? Right. For sure. Well, Becky, I I think those are all of my questions. This was really uh, insightful, really helpful. Of course, always good to catch up with you. I mean, I could spend, we could talk for an hour, but they'd all be inside jokes and folks might be bored. So um, thank you again so much for taking the time. I love you. I'm so proud of you. Excited to see all that you do in DC. Can't wait to see you ideally in March, I think is when I'm coming up there. So that should be a blast. And y'all, that is the end of our provider series. So hopefully you enjoyed it and we will catch you next time. Thanks so much.